Welcome to Goat Valley Campgrounds. Looking for a place to escape your busy life and reconnect with nature? Goat Valley Campgrounds features 300 acres of quiet forest and peaceful scenery for you to enjoy. Come meet Kate. She runs the place like her parents before her. We know you'll enjoy your stay as long as you behave yourself and follow the rules. Your survival depends on it. The No Sleep Podcast presents Goat Valley Campgrounds by Bonnie Quinn. Chapter 8 We sometimes have ancient things pass through town. This isn't unique to our area. These creatures, gods, former gods, the devil, and many more, aren't constrained to old land or the land from which they originated. They roam the earth as they please. Their passage is marked by signs and omens, most of which are dismissed as meaningless. A storm with high winds, an unease among the birds, healthy plants dying abruptly, or dying plants returning to full bloom. All things that are easy to ignore. Around here, the locals know to look for the signs. So when the temperature dropped unexpectedly and an unseasonal frost coated the ground in the morning, people took notice. No one knew quite what had come to town. But we all know that there was an ancient thing among us. The locals were nervous. But there wasn't any indication we were in danger yet. Often these creatures pass through without any effects whatsoever, other than the omens foretelling their arrival. But sometimes, they don't. Some of them offer bargains to the locals. They promise power in exchange for terrible deeds, for offerings of blood and suffering. The town is quick to deal with anyone that may be tempted into making such an agreement, and they deal with the interloper harshly. There are others that take the offerings they crave be it grain or livestock or, rarely, a human life. And then there's the ones that come to judge the worth of the town and met out what each individual has earned, according to their actions through the years. Whatever the reason, the town is anxious to be rid of these ancient things, or, at the very least, know how to protect themselves from them. That's when they call on my family. My name is Kate, and this is Goat Valley Campgrounds. I got the call a little bit before noon. It was, unfortunately, from Sheriff Sabota. He called the camp line, which is a landline, so I didn't even get the benefit of caller ID. I just got the unpleasant experience of picking up and being confronted with his ugly voice. Goat Valley Campgrounds, this is Kate speaking. How can I help you? We've got a break-in. Uh, on my land? No, someone in town. We think the, the ancient thing got them. My relief almost outweighed the sudden rush of terror that came with his words. Almost. I've had people sneak onto my land before, and it never ends well. Because the only places without fencing are down in the deep woods, where the worst of the monstrosities live. 
But if the ancient thing had entered someone's house, then it meant we were dealing with something dangerous. There's really no good way to get rid of ancient things either. My mother had done it when she was a teenager. She gouged out someone's eyes and offered the victim up as a sacrifice to appease the creature so that it would be satisfied and leave the rest of the town alone. There's never a tidy solution for ancient things. Do you want me to take a look? You're the local expert, aren't you? Get your ass down here and tell us what we're dealing with. I broke the speed limit in my haste to get into town. I'm not talking about a measly five miles per hour either. I mean, really broke the limit. I figured the police wouldn't mind since I was coming on their behalf. When I arrived, I found the street blocked off by police cars. The town doesn't have a large police force and every on-duty officer had turned out, which meant there were like two officers and Sheriff Sabota. Hey, has anyone gone inside yet? Hell no, just look at it. I looked. It was a small house, one story with white siding. Probably only a handful of rooms and a kitchen barely large enough for one person. Sheriff Sabota was reciting what he knew of the person that lived there. Young man, lived alone, moved here from out of town some years ago, kept to himself, had some kind of job that allowed him to work remotely, didn't really integrate into the community that well. I wasn't really listening. My attention was focused on the garland hanging around the entrance to the house. We're gonna need an ambulance. Tell them they're likely to be transporting a corpse. <laughs> you think? That garland? It's intestine. And that's why I didn't want my officers to go inside. What kind of thing does that? <sighs> Lots of possibilities. These inhuman things are fond of removing organs and disembowelment is particularly popular. I'm gonna go take a look inside. You can stay here if you like. Like hell I will. Of course, there were bystanders beyond the police cruisers. He couldn't let the locals see me going inside while he stayed where it was safe. I would have preferred he stayed out of my way, but I consoled myself by thinking that if the ancient thing was still around, I could shove him at it and escape while he was being torn open. The interior of the house was sparse and remarkably dull when we entered. Cheap furniture and a handful of generic art on the wall. It surprised me that someone could care so little about the space they lived in that they wouldn't make it their own. And it made me wonder what this person was doing in our town. Were we just a waypoint for him? A place to stay for a little bit in the timeline of his life? Did he not even know what he was doing here? I passed through the house, flipping the lights on as I went. Down a narrow hallway. I paused at the bedroom door. It was half ajar and there were blackout curtains on the windows, for the interior was dark. I could smell the stench of blood and other bodily remnants. There was another scent that confused me. Wet hay, like the interior of a dirty barn. I shoved the door open and ran my hands along the wall for a light switch. The man lay on his back, in bed, tangled in blood-stained sheets. An incision ran down the width of his abdomen, tied neatly up with white thread, stained crimson where it pierced his flesh. His eyes were wide open, fixed on the ceiling in desperation, and his chest rose and fell rapidly in short, wheezing breaths. He was still alive. We need the paramedics inside, right now. We don't know it's safe. Make it safe. He stormed out of the room to escort the paramedics in. I swore under my breath and hurried to the man's side. 
From the amount of blood staining the bedsheets and the intestines dangling over the doorway, I didn't think he'd survive even with medical intervention. I needed answers from him before he vanished into the hospital. What did you see? I need to know. Uh, uh, a, a woman. What did she look like? Were there any strange things about her? No, no. No, she... She was beautiful. Oh, God, it hurts. It hurts. I know. Help is coming. I just need you to focus a bit more. She... She said... I'd been... I'd been... Wicked. My list of possible entities was suddenly a lot narrower. There was a whole host of entities that believed humanity shouldn't have to wait until after they died to be punished for their sins. Of course, their definition of evil sometimes varied widely from our generally accepted moral codes. And there was no telling what this young man had done to offend one. It could have truly been something evil, or maybe he ate the wrong food on the wrong day. I wouldn't know for certain until I had a better idea of what we were dealing with. I'm going home to research. Call me if you find anything else. I want answers, Kate. You'll get them when I have them. You'd better be quick about it. I want to hear from you with a report in two hours. The town needs to know how to protect itself from this thing. Don't you lecture me on what this town needs. My family's been protecting this town long before you have. I don't report to you. I don't answer to you. And after your stunt at the town meeting, I sure as hell don't have any goodwill for you. If it weren't for the fact that I feel some sort of responsibility to uphold my family's legacy, I wouldn't be here at all. You'd be on your own. So you'll get what I give you and on my timeline. Which would be as soon as I figured anything out. But that part didn't need to be said out loud. I stalked out of the room, leaving behind the sheriff, the paramedics, and the dying man on the blood-stained bed. One wall of my office is covered in bookshelves and filing cabinets. I have books on land management, plants, and other useful campground resources. The rest of the shelves are dedicated to folklore. I have everything from scholarly resources to books of fairy tales meant for children. Everything helps. These are old stories for old creatures that have haunted us since humanity first created words and told other people about the things they saw moving about in the dark parts of the forest. In the filing cabinets are my family's notes. Those vary in usefulness. Some generations of campground managers were better at keeping a coherent record than others. I spent a considerable amount of time organizing them with various colors of sticker tabs to help identify useful information. As soon as I arrived home, I started pulling every file and book with a purple sticker that meant it contained information on ancient things. I'd finished making a list of creatures that dealt out punishments and also manifested as a woman when I got a phone call. The victim died. Did you expect otherwise? No, but they cut his stitches open and found that not only had his intestines been removed, but the abdomen was then packed with straw and stones before being sewn shut again. Oh. Oh. Hang on. Perchta. It's Perchta. Who? German goddess. Or she was a goddess. Maybe she still is. But but now she's kind of like St. Nicholas. As in Santa? Yeah, her feast day is around Twelfth Night. It's that That's the Twelfth Night after Christmas and is the Eve of Epiphany. 
shows up in a lot of folklore, though we don't celebrate it over here. Anyway, during the 12 days leading up to Epiphany, she roams around and mets out punishment to people who are wicked and break certain taboos, like spinning on holidays or not spending enough. And punishment involves killing? It does. She slits people's bellies, removes their guts, stuffs them with straw and stones, and uh, sews them back up again. For good children, she leaves a silver coin. So a little bit like Santa Claus, but with 100% more murder. Santa Claus doesn't murder anyone, so 100% more murder would still be zero. (sighs) Okay, that's true. But my point is that St. Nicholas is one of the few benevolent Christmas visitors. The rest like to kill people. (sighs) It's not Christmas time. She's here out of season. I don't know why. So what do we do about it? Uh, tell everyone to clean their house and maybe have fish and gruel for dinner just in case? Oh, are you fucking kidding me? Look, these inhuman things aren't rational things like we are, okay? Perchja's domain is the home, and if you're not doing a good job of managing the home, then you're on her hit list. I want something better than telling everyone to mop their floors. Sure, sure, I'll get right on that. Gotta go. I got a visitor. I'm not done with you. I made for the front door, idly considering the state of my own house as I did. It wasn't that bad, surely. Maybe the office was a little cluttered and I had some dishes I hadn't put away, but it should be fine. Of course, I didn't know what Perchta's standards of clean were. The man she'd killed seemed to have an orderly house. Of course, I'd only seen two rooms. For all I knew, there were empty pizza boxes stacked to the kitchen ceiling. I'm coming! I'm coming! Jeez, have some patience! What the... The door hung open, swaying gently on its hinges. A gust of wind swirled through my entryway and into the living room, where I stood frozen as that primal instinct screamed in the back of my head that I needed to run. For framed in the doorway was a woman, beautiful, with pale skin like winter frost and hair like snow. Uh, are, are you... Perchta? She wasn't inside yet. This was a good sign. All manners of creatures roam the world on the eve of the new year, but most of them can't enter the home without permission. There are stories of even the devil itself being repulsed for lack of an invitation. I am indeed. But don't trouble yourself further. I'll see myself in. She stepped through the open doorway. Oh, shit. I made a special trip here just for you, Kate. Aren't you happy to see me? And the man in town you killed? He happens to be on the way over. Did you see his kitchen? Oh, and mine? Your house is the least of my concerns. You've been wicked, haven't you? Your sheriff may be content to let you hang yourself, but I am not nearly so kind. She raised her hands. In them, between the pinched fingers in one hand, was a needle. In her other was thread. I ran. I sprinted towards the kitchen, as that was the quickest way out of the house. There was a door leading to the garage. I could hear her footsteps crossing the living room as I slammed the door behind me and shoved a shelf over to blockade it while the garage door opened. I could hear Perchta calling for me inside the house. How many did you kill this year? Let's see. There was that man that died in the hospital, writhing and vomiting blood. Only one so far. Not bad. 
You've had worse years, though. He broke the rules! I had to protect the camp! I threw myself under the partially open garage as Perchta slammed into the door to the house. The shelves were violently thrown forwards and out of the way as the door was ripped off its hinges. After that, I didn't look back. I just ran out into the yard towards the field and the forest beyond. I had no idea where I was going. I could only run. Poor, poor Kate. No one in town likes her. The sheriff is out to remove her from her position. Have you considered why this is so? I have! It's because Sabota is an asshole! You sit safe in your office and you let others do the dying. You make everyone else pay for your own failings. Is that not wicked? I've been doing everything I can! (sighs) Have you? I reached the end of the drive, and at first, I thought to cut towards the road. I could try to reach Brian and his dogs, but there was something standing on the asphalt. Multiple somethings. Their heads hung sideways at odd angles, and their limbs swayed in the wind. I veered wide around them, confused, unsure of whether I should go around or go the other direction entirely. Then one raised its head and looked at me, and I realized what they were. Scarecrows. All their heads snapped up, still hanging sideways on loose necks. But the empty spots where their eyes should go were fixed on where I stood, hesitating, keenly aware of the woman with the white hair making her way steadily down the driveway at a confident, unhurried clip. The pace of a predator that knows it's only a matter of time. I began to back away, and then, in the corner of my vision, I saw a large shape lunging at me. I dodged to the side, stumbling on the damp grass and almost falling. Its arms passed over my head and I smelled damp straw and a foul stench, the smell of rot. And then I was sprinting across the field and leaving the scarecrows behind me. The tree line rose up before me. There was a sense of safety hidden inside the forest. I just had to reach it. And then what? Keep running until I collapsed? I didn't know. I couldn't think. My reprieve was short-lived. I heard a noise from behind my right shoulder and I risked a glance backwards. The scarecrows were racing across the field after me. All of them were. They ran in great loping strides on all fours like animals and their limbs seemed elongated, thin, more like gangly canines than human forms now. They were rapidly gaining. I kept running, hitting the tree line, and the grass gave way to dead leaves. I knew it was hopeless, and I couldn't possibly outrun them. I stumbled through the underbrush, and then one hit me, a bodily impact that took me off my feet, and I landed on my side, felt a weight fall over top of me, pinning me to the ground. I struggled, kicking and punching, and my fingers clawed straw from the back of its head, and my knee connected with something soft something that came free with a sickly sound, like the last of jam releasing from the bottom of a jar. Something like rope, but slick and wet, landing on my legs, and I gagged at the stench of bad meat. Now I know what Perchta does with the intestines of her victims. I seized the scarecrow's arms with both hands and wrenched, and the straw parted, and I tore it clean off. The scarecrow's body lifted, off balance, and one last blow to its side knocked it off of me. I writhed on the ground, trying to stand, more intestines spilling out of the hole in its midsection. I rolled and pushed myself up, 
then another blow, and this one took me off my feet and kept me off my feet, slamming my back against a tree trunk. My chest seized up at the impact, and for a moment, I could only feel the agony radiating from beneath my ribcage, and then that was buried under the ice of terror. Perchta's hand was around my neck, and it was she that held me pinned, my feet straining to touch the ground. You know exactly why I've come for you. I've only done what's necessary. Necessary, perhaps, but no less wicked. A twist of her wrist and her bone needle shone ivory in the sunlight. She pushed my shirt up and out of the way, and I felt the point of it against my skin, just above my belly button. The woman leaned in close to me, and her breath on my neck felt like frost. <laughs> what else am I to do? I'm trying the best I can, but I can't save everyone. You can save them all. She released my neck and let my feet hit the ground, but I remained pinned with my back against the tree, the point of her needle digging deeper into my stomach. I whimpered low in the back of my throat. She reached behind her languidly, the needle immobile against my skin, and her thin fingers plucked out of thin air one of my pamphlets. How to survive your camping experience. She held it up in front of my face. Is this truly enough? Is it just? Is it right? <laughs> I don't know what else to do. Figure it out. And the needle pierced my skin. I yelped with pain. But it wasn't as bad as I'd expected. And then it exited. Two bright points just above my belly button. And she was knotting the thread. And she snapped it with a jerk. Eliciting another brief moment of blinding agony as the stitch pulled tight against the wounds. She stepped back. I collapsed on the ground, staring at my stomach and the white thread that was rapidly turning scarlet with my blood. My breath came in short, shallow gasps. I felt dizzy and hot and wondered if I would just pass out right there. But that was all she'd done. My abdomen was intact. My insides were still inside. You keep a candle in your bedroom. Tell me about it. A <sighs> uh, candle? Oh, the, 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 the lady with extra eyes gave it to me. As long as it's burning, that means the old sheriff is alive. Does it still burn? I was seized with sudden terror at where she was going with this, but I was compelled to answer her. She was an ancient thing. It does. How long have you had it? Uh, six years. And you've done nothing. My vision blurred with shameful tears. Yes, I'd done nothing. Because I was scared. Because I didn't know what to do and was afraid to find out more. They were all acceptable casualties, so I told myself. There was the prick of a needle on my chin, forcing my head up. I stared up at the goddess, ethereally beautiful, glowing in the sunlight. Her expression was cold as she stared down at me. You are wicked. You abandoned good people to their fate. You cling to your rules as justification for your inaction. The needle pressed harder into the skin of my neck. I didn't dare breathe. Around me, the scarecrows were crowding in around their mistress, and the stench of rotting meat made me want to gag. I'll go to the vanishing house if that's what you want. What I want to do is turn you into one of my little scarecrow friends. 
Did you know that for the evilest of people, I use a plow and chain for my little surgery? It seems you left that at home. It seems I did. But maybe you can convince me not to bring it with me when I next pass through. She leaned in close. I felt her cold breath on my cheek. If you're to go to the vanishing house, you'll need three things. I will leave you with one of them. Then she stabbed the needle downwards into the soft skin of my stomach. I screamed in pain, squeezing my eyes shut tight. And when I was able to open them again, Perchta and her scarecrows were gone. She'd left behind that single stitch in my skin and her needle buried in my flesh. I pulled it free, rolled to the side, and vomited. I broke the stitch once I was home and cleaned and bandaged the wound. Then I sat at my kitchen table and stared out the window as the sun crept across the sky, the vanishing house. I had to go to the vanishing house. My heart raced just thinking about it. But wasn't that actually my best option right now? Sheriff Sabota was trying to sabotage my campground by withholding police support. If the old sheriff came back, well, his reputation was legendary around here. He could put a stop to this nonsense. And it'd be one step in keeping Perchta from disemboweling me someday. I stared at the needle before me, still threaded with a length of bloodied white thread. Three items. I needed three items. The needle was one. The second was the candle. It had to be. And the third... Well, there's ways to get that kind of information. I waited until midnight. Then I took the sheriff's candle and poured some of the wax into a spoon. Then I poured that into a cup of cold water and stared down at the resulting image. It's an old form of divination. Whatever form the wax takes will tell your future. For me, it coalesced into a blob with two empty spaces like eyes. A skull, floating in a cup of water. I have the third item. I wandered the campsite for hours, and just before sunup, I found him. The man with the skull cup. I told him I was here to claim my favor, and he held very still while I spoke. Then he smiled when I said what it was I wanted. I need to borrow your cup. To save the sheriff. He ran a finger along the rim of the cup contemptively. How do you know? Do you gossip with the dancers or something? His eyes flicked up to stare at me in unspoken reproach. The man with the cup merely tolerates my sarcasm. The silence between us stretched on until my nerve broke and I coughed and awkwardly changed the subject. So, what am I going to find inside that house? I cannot tell you. I have no more ability to read the future than you. I see patterns and possibilities, and perhaps I see ones that you miss while you struggle in this web not of your own making. But even I do not know what the house's master is. I'm getting tired of puzzles. What web? He sighed softly and shoved the cup into my hands. You continually disappoint me. Your adversary has you ensnared, and you focus on a single strand of his plans. My enemy? The, the, the sheriff or someone else? The question asked on impulse, 
born of a wild hope that the man with the skull cup would actually be forthcoming for once. His expression went carefully blank, and while he only displayed the emotions he chose to, disdain usually, this felt even more controlled than usual. This is all the help I will give you. Our agreement is concluded. You may have the cup until the next full moon. Take care not to spill it, for it will take a heavy cost to fill it once again. The cup sits on my dresser, between the candle and the needle. As for finding the house, well, I wasn't able to divine its next appearance, but maybe I don't need to. There's something on this campground that will lead me right to it. I'm going to follow the lights. Goat Valley Campgrounds was written and adapted for audio by Bonnie Quinn. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. Starring Lindsay Russo as Kate, Mick Wingert as the man with the skull cup, Erica Sanderson as Perchta, David Cummings as Sheriff Saboda, and Mark Anzalone as the tortured man. Join us next week for Chapter 9 of Goat Valley Campgrounds. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc. The copyright for Goat Valley Campgrounds is held by Bonnie Quinn.